1: very strong racist ideology against Palestinians. Right. Your life is chosen, decided for you by the military occupation.
2: Why are the political elites, the so-called liberal elites of the world, why are they so silent? It's unbearable
1: what they've done. And for, for have to have done it with the full-blooded assent or, of the leadership of, your, of most of Europe, Britain and the United States has brought the West into great disrepute. By not speaking out, you're helping to enable them.
2: As the unrelenting Gaza killing of civilians continues unabated, another potential ethnic cleansing in Palestine is underway, again in plain sight. The gradual conquest of Palestinian land is continuing at pace. Armed Israeli settlers with the full backing of the state pillage and forcibly vacate entire villages and farming communities. Yet the international community remains mute. This is ethnic cleansing on two fronts. Today I have back on the thinking Muslim, journalist, author and public commentator Peter Oborn, who has returned recently from a visit to the West Bank. Peter is almost unique in the mainstream media for being someone who has consistently called out the marginalization of the Muslim community, both here and abroad. Peter principally writes for the Middle East Eye, amongst other outlets. His books include The Fate of Abraham, Why the West is Wrong About Islam, and The Assault on Truth. Peter Oborn, welcome to The Thinking Muslim. It's a great pleasure to come back. Thank you for being here. Um, now you've just returned from a two-week journey to the West Bank. I read a very disturbing piece you wrote that indicates settlers have increased their land grab. Please talk me through what you witnessed when you were there.
1: Actually, I was I think it was probably five weeks in, oh, wow. in East East Jerusalem and the West Bank, and I got back about ten days ago. Um it's uh it's quite it's quite harrowing. Um travel around the West Bank at the moment okay. because literally every village I went to is under attack from settlers. Um, they all have the same, roughly the same story, which is that the settlers will come in um, often with machine guns. Um, they will beat up uh, in, you know farmers, um, any male, they often they can attack women too they like the, the, the children are traumatized by seeing their fathers or uncles beaten up they they they, they use the guns normally you know they might spray the water system or go into houses sort of rip you know just tear tear them apart steal money um and in certain uh, mar, uh, uh, marginal marginal no what's the right word the smaller communities in around Mustafa Yatta in the south, mm. around the Hebron Hills, beautiful part of the world, breathtaking. They're much more vulnerable because they're surrounded by settlements, and there may be just two hundred, hundred and fifty people living there. And they come in, and they're driving, they're driving out the uh, the herdsmen or the farmers. Some of these are very ancient. Well, they're all ancient communities. Some, some of the Bedouin, you know, it's this is um. Um, these are war crimes, actually, because it's occupied territory, and you're invariably the IDF will protect the uh, come in with the settlers or protect them if need be. So it's supported by the uh, Israeli military, and they're driving um, the Palestinians off their land and away from their uh, ancient homes.
2: Tell me about the IDF's role in protecting these settlers as they ransack these.
1: Villages. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite complicated, and I, I rely. I haven't. Seen well I have I've seen them with settlers but I, the accounts I've got is they the settlers might come in and if the villagers resist not with stones or something the IDF will turn up and help um, or sometimes they will come in together with the IDF often it's hard to know because the settlers often wear military fatigues and carry guns um, some really harrowing uh, uh, videos like what I've been shown I'm sure you've seen some of them i think the idf has a double role it will protect the settlers and certainly won't stop them doing these illegal um things Uh, but again i think they're also there to restrain, probably on orders from the above to restrain the settlers they don't want a mass atrocity right and so if you look at the number of deaths uh inflicted on palestinians in the west bank since october the 7th it's well over 200 now but very small number i think maybe a dozen have been people killed by settlers Uh, and i think that that's um a a surprisingly small number and i would have I, i
2: suspect there's some restraint from the army on the settlers and who are these settlers where do they come from do they come from within israel proper or from outside
1: well they all live in the well uh, they they all live in the occupied west bank in mm-hmm. these settlements there are two types of settlement there are the so called legal settlements i.e. recognised by the state of israel right um uh, and then there are le- illegal settlements uh, which are not recognised by the state of israel but they sort of are as well you know i mean uh, uh, and you and these these are where so around Nablus, where I was spent a lot of time, you get the so-called hilltop youth, mm. which are very um, unpleasant, not indeed very dangerous, filled with the kind of settler, radical settler ideas, which based around um, obscure but deadly uh, sort of eschatological theses about you know the, the land of Israel belonging or Eretz Israel between the river and the sea belonging to the jews and the palestinians really don't have a a
2: role there at all you uh in your article there was some mention of a village where 250 members of that village the residents of that village had to vacate because of persecution from uh, these settlers um uh there is of course tacit if not overt approval from the security forces, but also you mentioned the role of Ben Gavir, Mm. uh, the national security minister. Uh, Explain his particularly insidious role in this.
1: Well, settlers have been particularly vicious since October the 7th. They've been driven by revenge. They've been driven, I think, licensed in some ways, just to sort of rampage. On the other hand, you've got to, if you look at the history of this problem, it goes back, uh, finally, to 1967, the Six-Day War, when Israel seized control, or in war, of, of of the West Bank from, it was up to that point, it belonged to Jordan, yeah. and, and also the Golan Heights and Gaza from Egypt. Now, the gradually after that, here, the, the, the settler movement developed, often without the support of the state, um, uh, but always with some kind of conversation with the state, uh, and in the last twenty years, a radical settler, very radical settler movement, has, with a sort of basically a supremacist ideology that the belong, land belongs to us, yeah. uh, has has developed. Now, they had two. The current that settler movement has two principal leaders, there are others, um, Ben Gavir, who is. Um, head of the uh so-called what well, it translates as jewish power and this uh, is a right wing party well a right wing doesn't quite you know um cover it you oh. know it's it's full of what i would say what feels to me very strong racist ideology against palestinians right that's the way i it looks to me um uh, I I mean m- m- Mr ben is is um is one of those until recently would have been a very fringe figure mm. probably he'd be arrested in Britain I think mm. um I don't think I, I just don't think he could operate but anyway there he was a fringe figure and suddenly he became uh mainstream even though for a long time he had in his I think it's his house or his office one of the two he had a picture of uh that Baruch Goldstein yeah uh the um the game um sort of base, uh, at least, uh, he was who was a settler living in Kiryat ab which is just above hebron mm. and he was the man who went in terrible into the uh tomb of the patriarchs in, yeah. in, in uh, uh with a machine gun and killed 29 worshippers mm. um and is now i went up to Kiryat ab uh, just to, I was told he, he was buried there, so I went up there to have a look, and it was a shrine. Mm-hmm. It's quite interesting. Really? I mean, it's terrifying. It's chilling. Yeah. And Ben Gavir uh, had a picture of this monster. And so that tells you a lot about who he is. Yeah. Um, and, and he is nas- incredibly Netanyahu appointed him national security minister. Yeah. So he and he's been since October seventh. He's been distributing guns, um, sort of encouraging. I I, I think I'm right in saying he's encouraging the use of of militias. Effectively, right. This is really dangerous stuff. That's fascism, actually. Encourage the you know distribute guns to your supporters.
2: Yeah, and and Smotrich, uh, he's also part of Netanyahu's coalition. Tell me a little bit more about. Yeah, Bezalel uh, Bezalel Smotrich, Bezalel Smotrich um,
1: yeah. who who um, runs something called the Religious Zionist Party, mm. and really it's quite hard, I, without being an expert, to, take, to tell the difference between these two parties, which essentially maintain that uh, that not, not just uh, 1948 Israel, but the I mean, West Bank. Is, is is israeli or is jewish right. um and Smotrich, rich like was a marginal figure but in order to stay in power mr netanyahu um himself that's probably the most right wing far right prime minister israel has had yeah. got it went into a, a, a agreement with the with the leader with, with ben gavir and Smotrich of these two settler parties effectively and having made ben gavir national security minister he then made um the equivalent of the chancellor of the exchequer right um finance minister but also uh held out for the role of civil administrator running the civil administration of the west bank really now that sounds it uh, sounds rather a sort of unthreatening term, civil administration, but it, it, it's Orwellian term. Yeah. So you have to remember, uh, and I'm yet now using the language of every human rights group well, in the world, including the Israeli human rights organisation, Bet Salem. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure there are some human rights groups which don't, but Amnesty, Human Rights Watch, Bet Salem, others say that this is an apartheid regime. Right and on the west bank it's glaring you, you have uh, if you're palestinian you, you you don't get the vote in israel you haven't had for uh, since 1967 mm-hmm. on the other hand uh, you you are under you are subject to the control of a military regime regime you're under occupation yeah. uh, and uh, in in in, in la- the largest area of the west bank so called area c which isn't really you think of the lar- the rural parts of the west bank mm. When they you they determine whether or not you can build a house and they'll pull it down if you don't uh what what roads you can use um what travel you have etc it's um you your life is chosen decided for you by the military occupation and that's the, <laughs> but so whether or not you can build your house or the road you can use or whatever it's part of the civil administration yeah and that's what I mean by Orwellian. It's really the, it's the civilian side of the military operation.
2: You met with, I suppose, ordinary Palestinians who live in the West Bank, who live in Section C of the West Bank. Um, what impression did you get from them about how they are living their lives on a daily basis?
1: Well, it's really, uh, I, I, I spent a certain amount of time in the south as I say these villages which are so threatened yeah and the people every few days the settlers would come into their village beat them up burn their car bulldoze their agricultural buildings etc yeah tell them to get out you know and it's terrifying I mean it's, it's intimidation and they all said that if they rang up the police Israeli police, their job nothing to do with bus. Yeah. So they they're they're defenseless. Um and it was harrowing talking to them. You know, I arrived at one of the villages and the child shrank from me. Right. Why? Because I think he just he was used to seeing these monstrous men right. turning up from the neighboring settlements and beating up his father or something. I mean, that was is literally grotesque. The, the, in they, these are very vulnerable communities. In, uh, the, where I spent more time, which was in the villages around Nablus or Ramallah in the, in the north of uh, the West Bank, mm. the, the, the villages would tend to be larger uh, and you can see that the settlers can't really, haven't got the wherewithal, at this stage anyway, to drive out a village of 3,000 people. Right. What they go in, what they've done, been doing is going you know, going through the village of iron bars and guns and they might attack a house or two, particularly outlying houses, burn them or down, try to burn them down or uh, it was and an what was most horrifying, this one of the horrifying things was they will stop farmers going to their land. This is the olive harvesting season, which since time immemorial is a, you know is, is, is a lovely part, a magical part of the whole season the whole year and they're, they're being stopped from getting to their olives and the settlers will either burn down the olive trees or they might pick them themselves or very wickedly they'll just wait till the end of the day when the palestinians have picked their olives and steal them off them it's really it's disgusting right. and there's no defense a palestinian does try to stand up for himself he's likely to be pulled away as a terrorist and see it's all i mean it, it is grotesque um also notice i don't know if she's improved the british consul general diana corner mm. she used to issue statements condemning um particularly grotesque settler behavior supposing they or idf behaviour, so they shot dead a child which they often do mm. um but she stopped doing that when i last looked I'm, i ought to check again actually uh why yeah i mean it's it's horrible i mean it's And I think this does raise the question of British complicity and all of this. Just forget about the wickedness of the Israeli state. Um, Just think about the way in which the international community has enabled this by effectively allowing Israel and the settlers to act with total impunity towards vulnerable people.
2: You've used the word apartheid. Another word that's been associated not only with Gaza, which we'll come to, but also the West Bank, is a slow, gradual ethnic cleansing. Would you go as far as to say that is the ultimate plan of the Netanyahu government?
1: Okay. I, I, it's quite a difficult question. You can, if you stay, st- are, 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 looking at the uh, the West Bank, mm-hmm. um, if you look at the uh, what they're actually doing, according to Bat Salem. Yeah, the Israeli human rights organisation. When I last looked, sixteen communities have been no longer exist. Yeah, uh, which existed um, on in, in two, it, it, on the seventh of October. Mm. About a thousand people are involved. That's small communities. These, um, but you know, it's uh, um, these are people who have just lost. Uh, that is war. Those are war crimes. It's state approved, state sanctioned, mm-hmm. state sponsored. I think fair, fair to say. Um, Uh, violence leading to people being driven off their land. I call that, I think that is a war crime and there's no, it should be prosecuted and and it should be called out as a war crime and the failure of America and Britain to do this and also to point the finger at Israel and say, you, Netanyahu, you, Smotridge, you, um, Ben Gavir, the the Israeli government are doing this. I, I, I find it completely baffling.
2: But let's let's turn to Gaza because, of course, it's horrific what we see on our TV screens and on our social media feeds on a daily basis. I mean, it's a, it's a it's an appalling uh, it's been an appalling two months nearly of of violence and and a large number of Gazans have, have died. And you've intimated there that there isn't a total silence or you know a, or a very casual relationship between the United States, Britain the European Union and Israel. What, what's going on there? Why are the political elites, the so-called liberal elites of the world, why are they so silent at, at what is so obviously um, you know, a, an appalling abuse of human rights?
1: Yeah, it's, um, I, hate, I don't know whether to use the word genocide. I'm not an expert mm. on the term but you're seeing mass transfer of civilians. Yeah. You're seeing um, the slaughter of innocent civilians on a huge scale. Yeah. The destruction of civilian infrastructure, the destruction of hospitals, the t- schools, the targeting of groups like journalists. It's pretty obvious that they're doing that. Yeah. Um, and he's st- sticking, first of all, with Britain. The fact that the British uh, Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, yeah. uh, is happy to say that he's giving Israel his unequivocal support. Yeah. And then they say that they support... Um, and then they say, you know, that Israel is abiding by international law. They even yeah. kind of... Cut, uh, some ministers have said this. It's not true. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and and even more surprising, given it he comes from a progressive political party with a record of standing up for minorities and human rights, I find um, uh, 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 Kirstama's conduct extraordinary, particularly since uh, he's explicitly said very early on that it's the collective punishment in the form of sort of withholding water and food, was uh, Israel was entitled to do that. Um, And so we have a... uh, the, the both the main political parties in this country supporting um i mean really strongly supporting yeah. uh, the activities of the israeli state the israeli army in gaza um it, it takes a lot of to stomach this i mean it's this in, in a country which claims to one care about human
2: rights and democracy and so forth yeah um, I, I want to turn to the position of Starmer because I think it's particularly egregious, uh, in particular because so many Muslims, I think I remember reading that in 2019, the intention of most Muslim voters, 71% of Muslim voters voted for the Labour Party. So it's always been the home of uh, Muslim votes. But also... We know that Keir Starmer comes from a very strong human rights background. Mm-hmm. And so he knows about international law and he's aware of uh, the, the various statutes and conventions that guide international law. Mm-hmm. Why has Keir Starmer s- so stubbornly stuck to this position that sounds like it's advocating, if not greenlighting, the Israeli state? Yeah,
1: You actually have to um ask him uh, you, uh, but unfortunately he ha- he has a record of being dishonest and giving misleading right. answers yeah. to um to questions yeah i keep a record of political lies yes <laughs> you wrote a book on it <laughs>
2: yes starting with tony blair i think <laughs> yeah yes. Tony blair
1: um um w- so what can we so let's just say we have to speculate okay rather than i can't without looking inside mr starmer's or Sir Keir's yeah. brain sorry, yes I think. um I think part of it is the the Corbyn business. You know, the the anti-Semitism charges laid against Jeremy Corbyn, which uh, Mr. Corbyn greatly denies, and I think his rebuttals are convincing. I don't think he's an anti-Semite. But this this dominated the kind of... It was a huge press uh, witch hunt, and Starmer decided after becoming leader to define himself as leader as the man who has stamped out Labour anti Semitism. Now, given that he was beside, he was a supporter and, in his own words, a friend of Corbyn mm. uh, while Corbyn was leader, this is a very retrospective thing to do. Right. And given, I'm sure you've read the Martin Ford report, which. Uh, gives is a major corrective to the press hysteria, um, and uh, if anybody hasn't read it, they should. And it's quite damning, I think, by implication, at any rate, of Mr. Starmas uh conduct, because, um, but that, that because it seems deeply unfair and wrong. But the fact is that he, having chosen to define himself by not being Corbyn. I think he, f- and then this all happened. I think that he felt that he uh, had to. His 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 reaction to the bombing was may have been shaped. I'm saying this is only speculation. Yes, may have been shaped by the the, the his urgent desire to distance himself from Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Um, there is all and the second factor, which may be equally important or more important. Is Sakir Sharma is? Um, I think he values his relationship with the United States. Right. All British political anybody wanting to be British Prime Minister tends to do that, yeah. uh, and certainly his um, unlamented predecessor Tony Blair did. I mean, but this is to, Some for some reason we, we do have a special relationship. It's not a relationship of equals. Yeah, I mean, you know perfectly well if Biden had called for a ceasefire five weeks ago, Starmer and Sunak would have jumped to attention and done the same. Yes, at once. Yeah, they take the they take their lead from the United States. I think it's wrong. I think because Biden has has been has been a mess. It does enormous discredit to the to the Western world. This blind support for Israel. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't condemn the atrocities committed by Hamas mm-hmm. on the seventh of October, and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't want war crimes investigations into what Hamas did. But you should also yeah. demand war crimes investigations into the, you know, the what's happened since with the Israelis, um, and they've killed what is it? Probably six. We know for sixteen thousand, probably substantially more, probably yeah. more than 20,000 people, including, I mean, it's, it's unbearable what they've done. And for, for, have to have done it with the full-blooded assent or, of the leadership of, your, of most of Europe, Britain and the United States has brought the West into great disrepute.
0: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: Peter, you care a lot about the rule of law and about justice. And I know from previous discussions with you that you believe there are very strong institutions in these countries that uphold these very valued, let's call them liberal democratic values. But then there is a question about how the worthiness or the efficacy of these values or how they're presented now to the rest of the world. Um, I interviewed the former head of Al Jazeera, Wadah Khanfar, uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, uh, Excellent. And he uh, argued that uh, Gaza... Uh, Symbolise something greater. It, it's almost like a the graveyard for liberal values. Like Western values are now no longer going to be supported or seen by those in the East or those in the South uh, as as values that are that are that are worth upholding for them. I mean, do you think that this is going to the, the whole Gaza episode is has irreversibly, you can say, uh, damaged the west and its value system
1: i've been following um western foreign policy now for a long time mm. and so none of this is a surprise right i mean if you think go back to the iraq invasion in 2003 that was an illegal invasion yeah um based on fabricated information yeah and um, so I, 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 I and I, it's very easy, it's very convincing to make an argument that the United States and Britain are, have been rogue states to mm. use terminology used against people like Gaddafi and mm. Saddam Hussein, etc. Yeah,
2: um,
1: nevertheless, I it was very moving being in um, East Jerusalem and in the West Bank, people would say to you, You know, I you know i used to look to the west i thought that they were on our side they would bring us some justice and now that's yeah. just gone right uh, and that's what palestinians who really did believe and like love and i think the, the west in many ways now feel that this is uh, this isn't the, can't be the case anymore mm. uh, and i you know the, one thing is obvious if you're looking towards a conclusion of all of this mm. Uh America is wholly unfit to have any role in right. the future of i'm not saying it won't have a role it's just unfit to have a role it's completely yeah. biased um you know it it's been held up as a a mediator for peace for ages you know and it's played it you know in camp david and so on and it. it's not it's it not a, it's not a fair player it's on the other. It's always of the Israelis, mm. cannot be trusted by yeah. any Palestinian.
2: Well, what's your perspective on the position of Ursula von der Leyen from the Ursula von der Leyen from yeah. the European uh, Union Commission, the President of the Commission, who again was very. I mean, her position was, you know, probably even more firm than the Biden position, and uh, she, you know, came across as very pro-Israel. Now the European Union has historically at least been a, a great funder of, of, uh, of people of Gaza and has taken a slightly more nuanced position uh, towards Palestine. Um, why do you think such uh, illustrious liberal institutions like the European Union have so succumbed to uh, the Israeli narrative?
1: I, I don't understand it,
2: actually. Yeah. Uh, uh, you've got to look at the way...
1: I think in Germany, for very obvious reasons, the Holocaust is overcome with national guilt. Right. Um, and I, 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 and that's easy to understand.
2: They banned demonstrations in Germany for pro-Palestinian demonstrations, it seems. They shouldn't do, though. I yeah. mean,
1: it's... Uh, but you, they are overcome. It is some... In the case of Britain, something has changed. I mean, I... Uh, um, there used to be quite a fair-minded or even-handed discourse mm-hmm. about it, about Israel, yeah. Palestine, um, in the Conservative Party, partly shaped by... There may have been an element of anti-Semitism. There's mm-hmm. no question there was anti-Semitism in the Conservative Party, and probably still is, actually, but there was. Yeah. But there was also the experience of um you know the 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 Jew, jewish terrorism as it was seen by the british at the time before independence for, in 1948 was aimed you know against british targets yeah um king david, you know the explosion of the king david hotel pro campaign of assassination attacks on horrible attacks on british soldiers in the mandate pallets mm. palestine and so on yeah aimed, aimed at driving the british out, but also I think there was just a general fair-mindedness. Mm. So you, in, I think I've right to saying in 1973 war, for instance, the British wouldn't had had an embargo on arms to either side. Mm. Um, Thatcher, who was pro, very pr, very very philosemitic and very um, pro-Israel, but he was always happy to condemn or ready to condemn um, Israeli atrocities, yeah. Shatila, and. And Sabra camp, the you know, the Israeli abetted massacre yeah. of, of Palestinian refugees, uh, you know, she called it pure barbarism. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't understand why the new generation, or rather the new generation of Tories can't do that. They seem mm-hmm. unable to find that language, yeah. which Thatcher had. And I do point this out to them. And I think there are two reasons. One actually is the amazing ignorance of how the world works or recent history of the Middle East. Um, And I think one has been the terrific success of the Israeli lobby in Parliament, in particular the Conservative Friends of Israel. Very perfectly honorable objective, by the way, to put the Israeli point of view. Uh, but they have had it. I think they've been a bit too successful, in a way, for their own good. Because if um, I think a real friend of Israel mm. would mm. criticize Israel if I was them. I mean, they, I asked them, if you ever criticized Israel for anything? Mm. No. Mm. You know, not Sabra and Satila, not, uh, you know, the horrific attack on Lebanon in 2006. Not the, yeah. no, they haven't. Uh, You know, not the basic, the new basic law, not sort of creeping, no no settlement. No, they they weren't, they've not criticised anything. Yes, And I think this is, they've been, they've they've convincingly made the case to the many Conservative MPs, the great majority it seems, that Israel is, you know, plucky little Israel, surrounded by enemies, Mm. the one shining beacon of democracy and human rights in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, they're entitled to make that case, but it's—it has learned, I think that it has meant that Israel, Israeli leaders have a sense of impunity. They've been given it. Never forget. And a very good example of this, terrible example actually, is was Boris Johnson when he was prime minister the end, in two, two years ago, wrote a letter to the to the Conservative Friends of Israel. Saying, look, uh, we won't, get, Britain would not support any war crimes investigations into Israel's conduct. Well, you're saying just uh, carry on killing, that, really, aren't you? And, uh, and so I, I think that they, a candid friend of Israel, which Britain say, Maggie Thatcher was prepared to be, would say, if, you're, if, if you step beyond a certain line, you say, look, you call them out. No, no, and that's going to be investigated and the perpetrators will find themselves at The Hague and so on. That would be, um, that would be the proper way of dealing with it and it would have might have helped uh, Israel evolve in a different way.
2: Can I return back to the Labour Party and in particular the position of many of the Muslims who are representatives in the Labour Party I mean, something that a lot of the Muslim community have been quite disturbed by is just how many of those Muslim representatives have been ready to toe the line. I mean, Shabana Mahmood comes to mind. She's the MP for Birmingham Ladywood, policy director of the uh, Starmer campaign in 24. Uh, again, you know, very silent over Gaza, even though historically she has had a pretty good record on Palestine, Um, there is this growing feeling that the Labour Party structurally is really not going to stand up for causes that Muslims uh, feel strongly about, in particular international causes. Um, What accounts for uh, the inability of these representatives? I mean, Ladywood is ranked in the top five of Muslim concentrated constituencies in the country. What accounts for their... It's complicity, I suppose, is the word uh, when it comes to such horrendous crimes. I agree with the term complicity yeah.
1: because by not speaking out, you're helping to enable them. Yeah, you're making it easier for Israel uh, to commit them. Yeah, without being held to account. Yeah. And as the uh, you know, everyone thinks Starmer's going to be the next prime minister, and so the next british prime minister whereas sunak is seen as increasingly as some form of great mistake (laughs) and uh the you know so so salva's got a lot of power even though he's not in power yeah and so worried to have reacted in a different way um as jeremy corbyn would have done not tony blair i think tony blair would never yeah uh, criticize if I'm right criticize Israel yeah um but uh, uh but um earlier Labour leaders for sure yeah oh. I, I think again I talked a little bit earlier on about the legacy of the Corbyn years yeah. and the charges laid against Corbyn uh, and the way that Starmer has has sought to shape himself right to define himself against. Starmer, and he has got a, an authoritarian leadership style. He's taught to build himself up as a sort of man who can't be challenged, So mm. it's partly that. But it's morally, many people think this is morally disgusting. Yeah. And I think you can draw co- comparisons with Labour in 2005, can't you, when yeah. Tony Blair going to war against Iraq. Um, offended
2: many Muslims in Britain. Yeah. Uh, and they've almost been a Labour block, haven't they? The Absolutely. Mus- the I think the largest block, probably Labour yeah. have from any ethnic community. Yeah. Um, but that leads me to what I sense on the ground, and I could be wrong, I've got a partial sense, but the feeling I get from the Muslim community, and that was backed up by a census, uh, a, a survey recently by the Muslim Census Group, which indicated that if an election took place tomorrow, only 5% of the Muslim community would vote, would vote Labour. And that was from a 30,000 sample of, of, uh, of, um, uh, of uh, in their survey. Um, I yesterday was at a meeting in Ilford North, West Street mm-hmm. constituency. He's got a 5,000 majority and there is a strong groundswell of opinion there that we need to stand against West in, uh who's, of course, a shadow health secretary and, and is sort of a leading light within the Labour Party. Um, the impression I get is they want to put forward an independent to to fight him using the Muslim and the wider community vote. Um, I suppose I've got two questions there. Firstly, is that a wise thing for the Muslim community to do in the sense that would it lead to greater I don't know, marginalization of the Muslim community. And do you see that strategy of putting forward independence ultimately successful in a, in a system like ours?
1: To answer your first question, yeah, I think the Labour Party has uh, made the decision, Starmer's Labour Party, to marginalize uh, uh, British Muslims. Um, there's quite a lot of evidence of very bad uh, Islamophobia inside. Inside Starmer's Labour Party, the um, Labour files, programmes, Al Jazeera. Yeah, some of it was quite shocking about the way that um, Labour was behaving towards its Muslim voters and Muslim officers as well. Yeah, I really recommend people should see that. Yeah, Uh, and on that, and following you know, the reaction to Labour's morally negligent reaction to Israeli conduct in Gaza and the West Bank. I think that um, Muslims are entitled to ask, you know, feel that they've... By the way, this is not simply a Muslim issue. (laughs) It's, It's actually yeah a basic human issue of, hu- yeah. of human rights and decent conduct uh, but i i uh in in the light of Labour's tolerance of islamophobia which uh, we needed to discuss more at a certain stage mm-hmm. um on an epic scale plus it's uh, foreign its foreign policy issues I think that the Muslims are—they uh, can't vote Tory because Tories are worse. I'd say. I mean, the Islamophobia inside the Conservative Party is rampant. Yes, it's a racist party. The Conservatives now.
2: Sayed Obarsi has effectively said so, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: I mean, and uh, of course the police. So you, you can't. And, and why not? I think that I think in many ways Muslims would find themselves uh, aligned with most many, many ordinary non-Muslim voters. I mean, if you look at the figures about the war, I think it's something like three-quarters of voters would like a ceasefire. Mm. Uh, and neither of the two main parties are able to support that position. I think what you have here is is not so much a... a uh, um marginalization of of just of muslim voters you have a uh, an abyss dividing the political media class i mean the media mass media is part of the problem too yeah from ordinary voters in this country uh and so i don't simply see that Yeah, which is a something's gone wrong with our politics and also the morality at the top of our politics
2: can i finish with um uh, a question about the Conservative Party. Now, I remember back to our interview last year, you see yourself as a traditional Conservative. And in in so many ways, uh, traditional Conservatives like yourself or Ken Clark have been sort of forced out of, of the party. I know you're not a card-carrying member, but but forced out of, of that broad church that was the Conservative Party, that brought together traditional One Nation, as well as uh, more right-leaning conservatives. Um, it seems to me that after the next general election, the party will lurch even further to the right, maybe with a Kemi Bedenok or even a Suala Braverman mm. leadership. Um, do you feel that uh, conservatives like you no longer have a home in the Conservative Party for the near future, or even further future? Yeah,
1: I, I've been thinking about this quite hard. Yeah. And actually, the events of the last week have uh, hmm. really clarified this yeah. this issue. So you are now having a a battle for the the leadership of the, or the heart of the Conservative Party going on in office, but really with an eye, I think, to when after the next election
2: yeah.
1: has been lost. A- and on the one hand, we have. Um, Bad, uh, sorry, Swella Braverman mm. Migration is 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 the great issue, yeah, which has been identified by the far right, right? And Swella Braverman is clearly putting herself forward as the leader of this. Uh, she got a very important new ally in 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 uh, Jenrick, Robert Jenrik, the who
2: resigned,
1: yeah, the, yeah, the immigration minister who resigned. So you've uh, you're going to have. I don't, there's talk of, an, of, a, of, a, of a, a, a bid to unseat Rishi Sunak. I don't think that will happen. No. Uh, but after, the, after, uh, after an election defeat, that is going to be a huge battle. Yeah. And if the bad, if the Braverman tendency wins, I think the Conservative Party will actually cease to be. Well, it'll, it will be able to keep the name Conservative, which is very important. Cause it legitimizes but its nature will be like the national front really? front national in
2: as france as bad or, as fat
1: yeah really? yeah or, or afd in germany or um it'll be a far-right uh, party um very frightening it, it will be proto-fascist yeah without not every element of fascism it's, you know the fascism encouraged the street violence but Ratherman came quite close to doing that. Uh, was playing with that anyway, yeah. uh, with her disgraceful remarks about the uh, the marches a few weeks ago.
2: Yeah. Well, actually, one one very final question. Um, last year, I asked you a very similar question about Muslims here, especially young Muslims who've decided that maybe Britain is just not their long term home, and there is a movement of, of Brits of British Muslims moving to moving abroad sometimes to other muslim countries like turkey maybe even eastern countries beyond beyond turkey uh, that may not be muslim countries but just moving away because of the hostile environment they find themselves in i again and i've noticed in the last two months over gaza that feeling has intensified Mm. because not only is the environment hostile but also the political class is obviously not responding to what they see to be a, just a, a, an obvious sentiment that everyone should believe in. Uh, we're against genocide and against, uh, you know, such such mass slaughter. Um, I, I suppose what I want is is your comment on that. I mean, how I see that is very likely. I think over the next decade you will see a migration away. From the West of young Muslims, I mean, uh, I, 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 sorry to, this is turning out to be a very long question, but uh, I spoke to a group of uh, young university students recently. You know, these are people at LSE and Kings, and almost every single one of them said that after they graduate, they're trying to find a route to leave the country. Um, so I think it's a it's a very unexplored phenomenon, um, but it but, but yeah, I would like your comments on that, um, Peter.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, it's very distressing. Mm. I mean, I I hadn't I hadn't heard that. Yeah. I mean, not I think in in the way you have described it. Uh, secondly, of course, it Douglas Murray and that tendency would love to hear this absolutely just, yeah yeah um so here's an objective to depopulate uh britain a bit of, of many of its muslims yeah uh, you know if you just read the rhetoric of um people like murray yeah um it makes sense because i i, I mean my miss saeed avasti in her excellent book has a Called it the enemy within. Yeah, and that has got worse. That deliberate framing of the Britain's Muslim majority as sorry, Britain's Muslim minority as as terroristic or or, or a potential enemy has 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 got worse. And you yeah. just look for evidence. Actually, I'm working on this. I'm trying to find more examples, but just people just by expressing. Children in schools who just express support for Palestine find yeah. themselves called in by the what what you know, the thought police. I mean the prevent officers. Yeah. Now this is uh, horrible. I mean the the idea that expressing opposing the, uh, the the same British government which supports the slaughter in Gaza um, is at the same time targeting people who oppose who who are calling for a ceasefire is uh and the the british media shares a lot of that it supports the it supports israel and gaza but it portrays people who went on the marches as, as hate marches they they've got their priorities all wrong it isn't it's worth saying it's not just a problem for muslims it's a problem for a lot of the the most ordinary, decent British people. There is a twisted value structure being imposed on us by this uh, far right, and I would. Even, I, we have a far right conservative government at the moment. Mm-hmm. Not alone what shape or form the conservatives may take after an election defeat. It, it's quite a. We have a fight for liberal democracy on our hands at the moment, and I would. Um, I'd ask your friends you were talking to to reconsider simply because I want to join them in their fight for British values because that's what they want. That's what they're fighting for is British values against a government which is increasingly anti-British in the sense that Britain has always stood up for embraced minorities, whether they're ethnic groups or religious groups. I mean, we've had this long, wonderful battle to include people in our
2: society and to suddenly start excluding them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Peter Oban, it's been wonderful, as always, speaking to you. Thank you very much for your time today.
1: Well, thank you. I' was very serious conversation.
2: Please remember to subscribe to our social media and YouTube channels and head over to our website, ThinkInMuslim.com to sign up to my weekly newsletter. Jazakallah khair.
0: Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families.